All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network, show, and its hosts are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm talking to you from, uh, today I'm talking to you from Queens, actually, the borough of Queens. Last week I was in Qashqai's Portugal, had a wonderful time there, Um, but today is the 13th day of September, and I'm back in uh, the borough of Queens, New York City. Before I talk to you more about today's show, I do like to remind you I publish a newsletter that focuses uh, largely on junior exploration, gold and silver exploration companies. We also hit on some uh, exciting energy stocks as well um, and uh, and a few other things from time to time. A couple of biotechs that Chen Lin follows that we really love and are very exciting stories as well. Uh, and speaking of Chen Lin, I would like to encourage you to consider signing up for his letter what is Chen buying? What is Chen selling? You can do that by going to ChenPicks.com, ChenPicks.com. And also like to uh, remind you of Michael Oliver, who will be with me shortly. His wonderful newsletter, Momentum and Structural Analysis, go to OliverMSA.com to sign up for Michael's letter. Um, do want to thank you for listening to this show and making it one of the more popular shows in the Voice America Business Channel. Also like to encourage you to continue sending along whatever questions Whatever comments you have about this show, send them along to questions for Taylor at gmail.com. Questions at number four, Taylor at gmail.com. And of course, we want to thank our sponsors. This week's sponsors uh, Irving Resources, Novo Resources, Eloro Resources, Reina Gold Corp., Timberline Resources, and Lion One Metals. I've titled today's show uh, Supply Chain Disruptions and Inflation or Deflation. John Rubino, Patrick Highsmith, and Michael Oliver are this week's guests. After the fall of the Soviet Union, the world engaged in global trade on a scale never seen before in world history. The U.S. entered into this new era by offshoring major industries, offshoring those jobs, those high-paying jobs, uh, value-added jobs offshore. And while that benefited corporations with low-priced labor, Uh, It not only devastated America's middle class, but it also made America extremely vulnerable to China, which now produces life-sustaining products that America no longer produces, such as antibiotics and key materials used in industry. America employed fiat dollars, that is dollars backed by nothing, that were accepted globally largely because of our military force and certain diplomatic arrangements that were made with Saudi Arabia to require oil be priced in U.S. dollars. But along the way, nations like Russia and China took note of America's global expansionism funded with an intrinsically worthless dollar. And Russia, in particular, became angry with America and NATO, which dishonored its pledge not to add one single inch of new territory 
into NATO after the Soviet Union fell. The talk of adding the Ukraine into NATO was a line in the sand for Putin, who responded by invading uh, the Ukraine. It was just a line too far. It was, a, a, it was just pushing the envelope a little too far. So sanctions against Russia gave Putin no choice from his perspective but to cease selling energy to Europe unless sanctions were removed or energy was paid for in Russian rubles or gold. Even at a time when hyperinflation is becoming a real possibility, a growing number of European nations are planning to print enough money to pay for high energy prices thanks to green energy policies and sanctions. Uh, the European Union, and especially certain countries there, are in big trouble without energy supplies to keep them warm in the winter and to keep their industries humming. So Putin is playing hardball with the West and a desire to get the U.S. Uh, and NATO out of Europe. And to the, the West, and in particular, Europe will have to accept, I believe, a currency that is based on tangible assets like the ruble uh, to buy its energy. Um, you know, have to depend on those, those, uh, on those tangibles backing the currency, uh, unlike the U.S. dollar, which has nothing behind it, um, gold or, or energy in the case of the ruble, or face an economic depression either of a hyperinflation or a depression, deflationary depression, uh, time will tell. We hope something is resolved there, but whatever the case is, it would seem as though Europe in particular and the West in general is in big trouble um, economically. So if the West refuses to play ball with Putin, I think the only question is whether, we will, uh, whether this whole situation will be resolved in a hyperinflationary or, or a deflationary depression uh, I could be wrong, but that's the way I see it. Well, we'll discuss what all this means uh, with John Rubino in the second half of today's show. Then in the second segment of today's show, Patrick Highsmith will update us on Timberline Resources. It's a company that has discovered a Carlin-style high-grade gold deposit in Nevada, and we're expecting some good news from that company. So uh, Patrick uh, will be with me in the second segment of today's show. But right now, I'm happy to tell you that Michael Oliver is with me once again to give us his latest thoughts on these very challenging markets. Welcome, Michael. Thanks for joining me again. Good to be back. Always good to be back. And I know uh, in your weekly letter this weekend on your Precious Metals letter, you talked a great deal about silver. And it seemed to me that silver might have broken through the levels that are sort of key for the next rise, uh, the next, let's say, the next major run higher. Uh, What can you tell us about silver and why is this really the key precious metal in your in your point of view? Well, it's uh, obviously gold's the mama. So what it does mm-hmm. will influence silver. But there are times when you should watch the silver gold spread, the, the price measure versus the other price. And of course, silver's been losing value relative to gold on a per ounce mm-hmm. basis since January of 2021. That mm-hmm. was the point where silver reached thirty dollars for a second time. It had reached it in the summer of 2020 and again in January 2021. Ever since then, the spread between silver and gold has deteriorated, not collapsed, just gone down in arm-wrestling manner for, well, you know, a year and three quarters now almost. Uh, we measure things not by price so much as this, the momentum of price. In, this, in the case of the spread, it is price. It's one price mm-hmm. versus another. So it's really mm-hmm. a price chart. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, do it, we study its momentum, and we've been watching a momentum structure that's developed on that spread for quite a few months now. 
It's a year and a half wide. And if you looked at the spread chart, you see this declining staircase. But when you look at the momentum chart, you see a ceiling at a very shallow mm-hmm. level that we bumped three prior times. Mm-hmm. We're now about to bump it a fourth time. I think we're going to break out this time if we close. Uh, it wouldn't take a lot more this week in terms of the, the shift in that spread to break it out, meaning at that point, MSA is going to say this metric, which we regard as very important, a weighty metric, it says the net trend of both metals is going back up because when this spread shifts direction, favoring silver or disfavoring silver, mm-hmm. it usually means price of silver and gold are rising and silver is beating gold. In the case of when silver is losing versus gold, it means price is usually declining, which, mm-hmm. of course, is what's been happening for the last year or so. Mm-hmm. The funny thing here, though, I'm, I'm really intrigued by this. It's not that silver rallied $2.5 off the low of the month as of yesterday's mm-hmm. high. Right now it's 2 bucks off the low of the month, up at uh, 1950 area. Uh, the, while that occurred, gold labored still in the lower part of the 1700s. Like, you know, it mm-hmm. didn't even know what's going on with silver. It uh-huh. didn't give it any encouragement. Silver did it on its own, which uh-huh. I find very intriguing because I think it's very important it would do that. But when you look at a gold chart, just a price chart, a stupid, simple price chart, you've been in a range for two years since the 2020 high. We got up to $2,070. We dropped back in March of 2021 to a low of 1673 Okay, March low of last year. August mm-hmm. of last year, after the Fed said in June they were going to raise rates, gold went back down into the 1670s, held the March low, and rallied uh-huh. sharply. July of this year went back down again to 1680 and rallied again back to about 1770 or something. And uh-huh. today we traded to 1690-something again. If I were a bear, and apparently, according to the CFTC, the institutional positions in gold and silver have shifted to their least bearish position in a long time. Ah. I mean, normally, they're sort of weighted to the bear side. Mm-hmm. Now it's the small specs that are heavily short. Ah. If I were a small spec, heavily short, especially if I had time-determined puts, <laughs> you know, cooking away, how yeah. come gold can't blow out that silly, obvious low it's uh-huh. been used. And it's, it's a weird-looking chart. It looks like it needs to be broken through to either suck more shorts into the market and then turn up a you know, bear trap them, which I think it will do, or it simply doesn't go through those lows. And every mm-hmm. time we get down here, I'm almost sort of cheering privately for, let's go take out those lows, mm-hmm. explore what's down there, which I think uh-huh. is going to be buying. Okay, uh-huh. but they can't even do that. Now, here we've got, if, if you're short, you've got three reasons to be short gold. One, the dollar is so strong. Actually, since the May breakout, when it took out the range highs of the last seven years, the dollar's up 5%. Big deal. Six months, uh-huh. up 5%. Two, the Fed, you can't fight the Fed, they think. Okay, well, therefore, gold's got to go down, right? Okay. Three, when the stock market's weak, oh, golly, gold will go with it. Three uh-huh. prominent, widely held assumptions, and yet gold still hasn't broken through the silly low of the last two years. And gold's down right now 6% on the year, while the S&P's down high double, uh, double digits, NASDAQ's down a lot more double digits, T-bonds are down double digits, uh, muni bonds are down, you know, it's it everything in a normal portfolio is getting killed to the tune of double-digit percents, and gold's down single-digit percents and can't seem to break through. What's going on here? I don't know. Tell us. Question that nobody's asking. 
I think what it is is big money, big funds are accumulating gold because I think they know there's a point at which, and uh, economist uh, Jerry Epstein today, I saw him on mm-hmm. on TV, Jerry, Jeremy Siegel, excuse me, from Wharton School, yes. said uh-huh. the Fed may be going too far here, mm-hmm. which is jeopardizing these other assets. Mm-hmm. He's not alone in that. We've been saying it since early in the year, but now there's a lot of economists out there saying, hey, the Fed may be going too far. Mm-hmm. In which case, there's maybe a point here where the stock market breaks through certain levels that alarms the Fed. Mm-hmm. And certain other factors come into play, maybe in Europe, maybe here, that cause the Fed and other central banks to rethink the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, uh-oh, the wrong thing is being deflated. Yeah. The inflationary stock bubble, not, not the mm-hmm. combined. Bloomberg's up 20% on the year. Yeah. Bloomberg's that's, yeah. Well, Michael, usually, usually that's what the Fed does on these tightening situations. They tighten, yeah. tighten until they break something, well, and they you know, then the bust cycles. Yeah, 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 and then the bust, and then they got to come back in and start plugging, pumping and, money yeah. into the system again. Only this time, the bust is far bigger than any bust they've ever seen because we're well. That's right. That, that, yeah, and that, that's right. And what and which leads me to a discussion we'll have with uh, John Rubino, I think, later today, and also. Uh, Alistair McLeod next week, and that is the idea that we may have some sort of a reset, some sort of a major monetary restructuring. You know, a Bretton Woods in Asia, Asia and Bretton mm-hmm. Woods, Alistair is suggesting. So, a uh, very interesting time. Reserve currency, you know. Yeah, well, they they're building up their gold reserves like mad. Those two, Russia yeah. and China, and a lot of other countries that are not NATO friendly countries are building up their gold reserves very dramatically. Uh, just to, just real quickly here on a couple of the other commodities. Uh, well, well, first, let me ask you. So, do you think we need to see the equity market break down? That will be the thing that really helps gold. Then, finally, I think that is a spark. Now, g- gold might temporarily want to participate. You know, I keep mm-hmm. expecting that because I know yes. there's a mob rule out there that thinks it, it's inevitable. It must, which is false. Yeah. yeah. It's also false that you can't fight the Fed. Uh, Fed yeah. Funds rate went from four percent to fourteen percent, all prior to when Volcker came in. Gold mm-hmm. had gone from a hundred dollars up to about eight hundred before Volcker even came into office. And mm-hmm. rates had gone from 4% Fed funds to 14 and gold had a bull market all during that time. So remember mm-hmm. that. You can fight the Fed sometimes. Uh, and I think this is one of those times. So uh, yeah. I no, think we'll maybe agree. the stock market is the spark, which will fool mm-hmm. people, because they'll expect gold to collapse if the stock mm-hmm. is down. And I think so. it would be the spark that really injects fire into gold on the upside. So that that may, that may take us down there, uh, as you say, to see what's below that 1690 level. Let's no, see I what's down there. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. Just real quickly, I saw you put something out, rice. Is rice and, and commodities, agricultural well, commodities? Rice is, uh, they trade the futures, you know, and it's uh, pushing it. It's all, all-time highs. Uh, uh-huh. In fact, it, it made these price highs that it's currently at. Uh, a decade or so ago, and then uh, several years ago, and then now it's clustered at these all-time highs. So unlike some of the other grains, which had pretty good corrections, and now I think are ready to reassert themselves to the upside, like corn, wheat, and beans, mm-hmm. rice never did really correct it, just sitting there crowded at all-time highs. Uh-huh. Uh, and it, it, rice, of course, is, you know, three and a half billion people. It's an essential. Right. So, no, for sure. Yeah, Absolutely. Uh, well, that's okay. And oil and gas, especially natural uh, gas, I think gas is the one to watch, not gasoline, but natural yeah. gas. Natural gas, okay. Uh, you know, uh, we still expect maybe it can go up 50% from here, meaning up in the teens. Huh? 
That wow. would be very crippling wow. in the winter, you know. Oh my goodness, would it ever? Uh, okay, well, yeah. hope in a way, I hope not. Even though I have an, a vested interest in owning a few, a few shares of a gas natural gas company. Anyway, Michael, thank you so much for your insights. Always great to have you, and uh, thank you. We'll look to have you again you, in a Jay. couple of weeks. Alrighty, folks, don't go away. Patrick Highsmith of Timberline Resources will be with me to talk about. That company's project in Nevada, a Carlin-style gold deposit that they've discovered. Very exciting story, and the stock is selling for pennies, low pennies. Um, yes, I think it's one you might want to take a look at if you're interested in this sector. So don't go away. We'll be right back with Patrick Highsmith. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa. Play Finding Your Frequency Podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. Lion One Metals is focused on high-grade gold in Fiji, led by legendary Canadian financier Walter Barakoff. Lion One is permitted for production and drilling for discoveries in one of the most exciting high-grade gold projects in the prolific South Pacific Ring of Fire. Lion One trades on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol LIO and on the OTCQX under the symbol LOMLF. Go to our website at liononemetals.com for more information about Lion One Metals and high-grade gold in Fiji. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times of Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor. I'm really glad to have Patrick Highsmith with me today. He is the president and CEO of Timberline Resources. That's a sponsor to this show. I'm really happy to have them as sponsors because it's a company that I'm very excited about. Own some shares personally, and it is a recommendation in my newsletter. Of course, Patrick's been with us many times. He is a very experienced uh, exploration geologist, worked on over 250 projects around the world with some major mining companies, uh, household name companies, and now he's with uh, with his junior to help them find a major deposit, and it looks like he has a good shot at that, which is why I'm really happy to have the company as a sponsor and have Patrick here with me today. Before I say hello to Patrick, I should tell you that stock trades in the United States under TLRS is a symbol. Uh, Canadians can buy it under TBR. There's uh, approximately 160 million shares out, 15 cents only in U.S. money. That gives it a market cap of around $24 million. Welcome, Patrick, and thank you so much for joining me again. 
Hello, Jay. Good to be here. Thanks for having me. It's really good to have you. Um, I know we're a little disappointed. We we're hoping to see some assays before you come out, uh, come on the show again. I think the last time we had you on was August 2nd. Uh, perhaps you can provide an update as to what's transpired since August, uh, since early August and, and between then and now. Absolutely, Jay. We've been actively drilling at our Eureka project in Nevada. In fact, right now we have two core rigs on the project. The plan is to drill around 6,000, 6,500 meters, uh, mostly core drilling, but also reverse circulation. And the program's been going well, Jay. We're under budget and right on schedule. We should drill through September and, and well into October. The only thing, as you've been hearing from many of us geos on your show, assay labs are a bit slow. Um, you know, the data is coming out okay now, but this is the week of the Beaver Creek Precious Metals Summit. Jay, I'll be up there starting tomorrow evening, and uh, we will have a news release almost certainly within the next week. And unfortunately, we're just sort of, um, sort of finishing up those numbers and getting ready to issue that news release. But as far as progress, we're probably about seventy. Five percent or so through with the, the program. We've actually drilled more meterage with reverse circulation than we thought. We're ahead of plan there because it's been so much more efficient, so much less costly than planned. Uh, on the core drilling, we're right on track uh, there, and we have about uh, four or five holes left in what's probably a 25-hole drill program, Jay. And we'll we'll be putting results out, you know, starting within the next week in groups of you know, four or five holes, something like that, uh, that makes sense geographically. And, and right now we're focusing on, on the water well zone, which I've a discovery area that we've talked about with you before. Yeah, exactly. And, and why is that important? I mean, why are you focused on that mostly? Well, the, the water well zone, you know, started really earlier this year to really stand out. O over the last two years, we've been drilling uh, in what we call the lookout trend uh, around our historic resource there. And a few years ago, Timberline made what is now turning out to be a, a fairly significant discovery, we believe, just east of the existing resource at Lookout Mountain. And uh, it's this area called the Waterwell Zone. It's the same rocks that come to surface and have an, a, a significant half-million-ounce low-grade resource there. But as they get down dip to the east, Jay, the roots of that area are, are higher grade. And this is not in the resource area. And uh, we've been drilling there and announcing, as we did earlier this year, uh, starting, I think, in February, some really exciting results there that were that were game changers. You know, we, we drilled two really significant intercepts announced in February and March. The, the first one of those was 44 meters at over four grams, which includes 12 meters of, of 9.2 grams. So really nice, thick, well-developed intercept of, of carlin-type mineralization. And then the second hole... Uh, so far, the best hole we've drilled in that zone, 41 meters of 5.03 grams per ton, which included 19.8 meters of 9.5 grams. So, again, higher grades, uh, thicker intercepts than we'd previously seen on the project. And that's really put the water well zone and on the map as not only a likely addition to our resource, but at much higher grades than the project has previously been known for. So, clearly... Uh, we are going to focus at the water well zone and probably about 75%, 80% of the drilling in this program is in and around uh, that discovery area, Jay. Mm -hmm. And uh, so you have this resource around a half a million ounces, as I recall, but 0.62 grams per ton, something like that. 
do you see these higher grade? Is this part of the same system then? And and what you have at the top is a, sort of a leakage of the higher grade mineralization below. Wow, fantastic uh, terminology there, Jay. You sound like a geologist. It, uh, we recently wrote a technical paper where we discussed that low-grade resource as likely the up-dip sort of leakage from a bigger system at depth. Um, we've put several cross-sections out there in our presentation and in various uh, venues around the business that show um, that, that mineralization going to depth. Uh, we've drilled it to over 300 meters in some areas. Other areas, we have high-grade coming within 140 meters of the surface. Surface, but it does have deeper roots. There's a big geophysical anomaly, Jay, that suggests we're occupying a structural corridor here that was the plumbing, you know, the fractures, uh-huh. the faults in the rock, the plumbing for that system. And, and we're drilling around the, the not too deep, but, but still down dip extensions of that zone. And, and, and what we find here, uh, to be clear, would be in addition to that resource and, uh, and, and really, um, as I said, these thicker runs of much higher grade uh, mineralization. So as we get closer down into that feeder system, it seems as though we're able to consistently hit this one interval, this one zone, and that uh, every time we drill it, we hit some gold, and very often it's uh, it's thick and well-developed grade as the intercepts I just described. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, an interesting development that's recently occurred is a discovery of some high-grade silver and base metal mineralization uh, it's either next to or is it overlapping with your gold mineralization? I'm not quite clear on that. Yeah, look, it's becoming a theme in the belt, uh, Jay. We, we announced a little bit to the northeast of these uh, water well zone holes last year, uh, an interval well, early this year, but it was last year's drilling. Uh, a significant intercept, over 200 meters of over 5 grams per ton silver. Now, it also had gold with it. Um, but that was really part and parcel of this historic district, Jay. We, we drilled into a, a silver system that probably came first, geologically speaking, you know, over 100 million years ago. And that's what Eureka was known for, by the way, high-grade silver back in the day. And these are some of the southernmost uh, intercepts that have identified this system. But if you follow this same corridor of rocks, uh, what we call the Eureka Gold Belt now, up across Timberline's property, and you go north over the ridge and look down there at uh, I-80 Gold's Ruby Hill Archimedes project, uh, you'll see the same rocks, uh, and they just announced a spectacular, of course, uh, drill intercept um, that you and Downey's been discussing uh, with his followers, and I'm sure folks may have seen that, but uh, over 28 meters of 500 grams silver with up to 29% lead and zinc and a bit of gold as well. So I guess the thing that folks will tune in on and and may learn a lot about in the coming weeks and months as they follow news releases from us and, and I-80 as well, is this district, like many important mining districts in Nevada, has at least two generations. The silver-lead zinc mineralization, which came in 100 million years ago, and then later, Carlin-type gold mineralization using the same plumbing, uh, often around, under, intimately intertwined with that silver system, uh, is the Carlin-type system, which dates back to about 40 million years ago. So, so, um, so yeah, it's uh, definitely something we, we knew we would encounter. We can see it at surface in the district in places, and we see it in drill holes, just as our neighbors at I-80 Gold do. It's very exciting, and uh, of course, we're waiting with bated breath for the assays. I know you are, <laughs> even more so. Uh, any idea when we might be treated to those? You, th- you think very shortly, a couple of days perhaps? 
from now. Yeah, we're we're really close, Jay. Um, the we started drilling in June, um, and uh, we of course the core is a little bit slower. You have to cut the core, get it to lab. But we're really into the groove now, Jay. Assays are coming in quite regularly. I have to say the labs have probably staffed up and improved things a little bit. But uh, you know, this first cluster of holes, which is in the central and southern part of the water well zone. Uh, we literally are certainly within a week of, of having a nice cluster of holes to announce in a news release. We're double-checking and finalizing numbers there. And then we should have regular news flow. That's the good thing now that you're into the groove. Right through this third trimester of the year, uh, certainly right through October, November, a pretty steady news flow. And, of course, that's what we've been waiting for and kind of the uh, the downside of these summer drill seasons when you have to wait for your assays. Well, I'm really looking forward to them as a as a uh, an owner of some shares myself and my, uh, my subscribers to my newsletter I know are very interested as well. Um, I, I can't wait. I, you know, actually, uh, Patrick, you may have some time next week. I think we would. Uh, if you have some results, I would love to have you back, uh, perhaps to tell our listeners about them uh, next Tuesday, if if you'd be available. Very generous. Uh, glad you have a gap there, Jay. We'll uh, we'll certainly do that. If we if we get this news release out as anticipated, we'll certainly come back and go over the numbers with you and allow uh, allow you to ans- ask any questions that may come to mind. That would be great. And just one more thing, if I might, uh, what. Uh, you know, I know that as a seasoned geologist, you worked with big mining companies. You're not interested in tiny little deposits. They don't make any economic sense. Can you give us an idea or some sense of the potential magnitude or scale of of your gold as well as your as well as the uh, 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 the uh, silver and base metals target? Well, absolutely, Jay. We're in a world-class district here. Um, uh, this is already 10 million ounce gold district in the, the, you know, the sort of land of the giants in Nevada, uh, the leading gold producing region in, in North America. Um, we are, you know, got a tiger by the tail here. We really believe we're looking at a large Carlin type system, multiple pods of mineralization, no doubt, as we evidence all the time. We, we're continually mentioning, you know, new prospects and new areas like Oswego and, and Windfall and New York Canyon and places like that. And so there may be multiple pods to it, Jay, but as, as, a, a, the biggest claim owner in the district, uh, the Eureka District, which already has 10 million ounces, most of which is up at I-80 Gold's spectacular project, of course. Um, we believe the potential here exists to grow this project uh, beyond uh, 3 million ounces, perhaps 5 million ounces of, of total gold endowment or more. And, uh, you know, we're in the fairly early days of that. But, boy, have we learned a lot, Jay, in the last two years since I came on board uh, and with Steve Osterberg running things in the field, uh, we're able to, I think, really get our hit rate up and show folks that when we go out to drill, we're going to keep hitting gold and putting this puzzle together. So we're going to grow it, and I believe the potential's there, potential is there to reach 5 million ounces of Carlin-type gold. And uh, the silver, you know, uh, up at I-80, they may well put that silver into production. We haven't yet hit Bonanza-grade silver here, uh, but if we do, uh, those deposits are not incompatible uh, with mining that type of stuff in Nevada, particularly if our neighbors at I-80 are going to put in a flotation plant a few years down the track and focus on that. So so uh, exciting district and a lot of potential, just like you said. We're not messing around with with a small project. Well, that's uh, I, was, I was quite convinced of that, but I wanted to hear you say that. And, you know, I-80 is just such an exciting story. It's also one that I follow, one that I own, and one that's in my newsletter. So, uh, boy, if you've got anything that comes close to that, 
I don't know. If people understood which, what the potential is here, you wouldn't be selling at 15 cents a share, but that means uh, people that can perceive of what you might have coming here might want to pay some attention and really do look forward to having you on next week uh, with some assays if they're available by then, Patrick. Thank you so much for joining us again. Thank you. Always great to be here, Jay. You bet. All right, folks. Well, don't go away because when we come back, John Rubino will be with me, and he's going to talk about supply chain disruptions and how they may impact the precious metals markets and other markets uh, of importance. So don't go away. We'll be right back with John Rubino. Timberline Resources is a mineral exploration and resource development company focused on gold discovery in the world-class mining jurisdiction of Nevada. The company's flagship Eureka project hosts a significant gold resource and drill-indicated upside potential at nearby higher-grade targets. Timberline Resources trades in Canada under the symbol TBR and on the OTCQB in the U.S. under the symbol TLRS. To learn more about this district-scale asset with exciting discovery potential, please visit www.timberlineresources.co. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1 866 472 5790. That's 1 866 472 5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number 4, Taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back, Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and we are having, well, at least if you're long in the stock market, you're having a hard time today. Uh, we'll see if John can help us turn, in, turn it into something that's good. Um, well, all of you know John Rubino. He's been with us many times on this show. He's the founder of the popular financial website, dollarcollapse.com, and the co-author with uh, James Turk, um, The Money Bubble, and several other books. John, is always a pleasure to have him on. Uh, he always has great insights into the markets, and what a day to have him on. Thanks for joining me, John. Hey, Jay. Yeah, you're right. What a day. Um, what a day. And, you know, I mean, to me, it's a little remarkable. The market supposedly was expecting a decline of one-tenth of one percent in the CPI, and we had a gain of one-tenth of one percent. But, boy, what a reaction. I'm looking at the NASDAQ. Right now, it's down 5.15 percent, 5.15 percent. Uh, the Dow is down 1,286 points, 1,294, now 1,299, now 1,300, 1,301. Uh, it's just, you know, 4% down on the Dow, 4.4 on the S&P 500, 5.27 now on the NASDAQ. It's accelerating. But what do you make of this? It seems to me, John, like a real overreaction to something kind of minuscule. You know, instead of a one-tenth of 1% one decline, a one-tenth of 1% increase why 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 the reaction well um two things one is that we've been trained over the last 30 or so years to expect um recessions to be short sweet and then followed by the fed capitulating and going back to easing again so everybody's expecting that and stocks have that priced in um 
so any kind of news that implies that uh, the the interest rate increases are not going to end imminently freaks people out. And that's what happened today. Inflation came in, like you said, a little higher than expected, but the internals were also kind of um, scary because food prices are way mm-hmm. up. And that's, that's a very big deal because it's, uh, it's not just a financial thing. It's also a political thing. When food prices go up, it destabilizes a country. And so we're kind of looking at that. And now um, after this inflation report, some of the Fed talking heads are, are implying that we might get a full 1% increase in the Fed funds rate. Wow. wow. Which is, you know, it's a big deal because that, um, it, it, you know, it, it, the government interest rates determine market interest rates. And if um, if our rates keep going up, you know, if the government keeps raising rates, then that's going to raise mortgage rates at least. Mm-hmm. And if mortgage rates get up into the, say, 6% range, that's going to crush this housing market because houses are wildly expensive right now. They're only um, manageable for most people, only affordable for most people if those people can get a 2.5% mortgage rate like right. you could get a year ago. And now if it's 6%, that, that more than doubles the monthly cost of a typical no. mortgage. Yeah, no. so, that puts so yeah. Put- Puts it out of the range of, of uh, buyers uh, for sure, or they have to buy something much cheaper, and maybe the housing prices will adjust on the downside. But of course, I would imagine the uh, the Fed and the government will be fighting against that too. It doesn't seem to want to let the free markets work very much at the time. I'm looking at the ten year right now; it's three point forty two, three point forty two percent. So it's a ways to go. I guess that the housing market is the the, the mortgage market's priced off the ten year. I think for the most part. Yeah, um, but but it's above the ten year. So uh, a four percent right. ten year rate would imply a six ish percent. Is that right? Okay, all right. Yeah. Well, that boy, that that'd be a killer, I would think, in the housing market. But anyway, uh, yeah, it's a it, it's very unnerving times, no doubt about that, to say the least. Uh, today, I wanted to sort of talk to you, have you talk to us about um, this whole notion of supply chain disruptions and. Its impact on inflation, and um, certainly like to get to that, and also, time permitting, uh, uh, have you address some of Alistair McLeod's ideas? Uh, an Asian Bretton Woods, he's talking about a reset, set a monetary reset, uh, potentially as uh, the dollar would seem to be uh, more vulnerable than any time I can remember in my lifetime, anyway. So, um, maybe you start out with the the whole globalization, expansion of globalization. I mean. Everybody was going to China a few years ago. Uh, my brother would go there once or twice a year uh, on business. I, I even went a couple of times. Um, you know, everybody was wanting to go to China, and now there's none of that going on. Uh, it seems to me that with the decline of the Soviet Union, that really opened things up. Would you agree with that? Is that when the real globalization move started? Um yeah, I mean, it had been gaining steam before that, but yeah. basically what, what happened was the, the U.S., n- normally the, the way it works is that the strongest country is the one that's most in favor of free trade because they uh-huh. tend to benefit disproportionately, and, and the U.S. is the globally dominant country, uh, really, ever since World War II. And, oh, Jay, sorry, my phone's ringing. One second, let me stop it. <laughs> there. These, these things happen. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. okay. So the the um, the U.S. basically set up a global system in which it um, guaranteed 
um, safety for ships traveling around. Mm -hmm. the world. In other words, we use our Navy to mm -hmm. uh, make free trade possible. Mm -hmm. And that led to um, something that the economists call, um, well, well, whatever, they, they um, we, we decided to have things be done wherever it was done most efficiently. Mm -hmm. we, could, uh, we could trade safely. Um, and that led to a lot of uh, factories being set up in other countries and mines being set up in different countries. And, mm -hmm. and so the supply chains got very complex and also very efficient. It works really well in good times. Mm -hmm. But while we were setting up these uh, hyper-complex trading systems and supply chains, we also decided that it was a good idea to use access to these um, supply chains as a weapon. You know, and the mm -hmm. U.S. started threatening to kick people out of the, the global financial system and the global trading system. And uh, that antagonized a lot of other countries. Mm -hmm. So what's, what's happening now is that we're, we're finding out that it's not a good idea to be, to be dependent on countries we might not be friendly with for a mm -hmm. lot of what we need. And, uh, and so we're trying to um, bring back a lot of production when it was, it was previously done overseas, everybody's trying to bring it back home and, and uh, do it back here. So we're seeing a breakdown of globalization. And that's an incredibly expensive process. You know, in, in the near term, as these supply chains break, it costs a fortune and leads to supply uh, bottlenecks and things like that. And in the longer term, we're going to be doing things in places where it's not quite the most efficient place to do it, but it's safer. And that's going to raise prices too. So we're looking at a, a embedded inflation going forward as the globalized system kind of breaks down and has to be uh, rejiggered, you know, to bring everything back home. Right. Uh, the markets are kind of, um, they're, they're just beginning to come to grips with that because all of a sudden, you know, corporate profits cannot be what they were in the past when we had just in time inventory, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and, um, you know, it's just not, as uh, an attractive a time to be investing in, especially multinational companies, but basically anybody now. So this, and that's something that people haven't really grasped yet, that the world isn't gonna go back to quote unquote normal in a year or two when we fix these little problems here and there. Yeah. Uh, but a fundamental change is happening. And it's a, it's a very unfavorable change for a lot of traditional investment theses. In other words, uh, the 60-40 stock bond portfolio right, right. Um, it is, was brilliant. That was a great thing to have ever since World War II, but it, it may not be that smart going forward because you're liable to see, like we saw in the first half of 2022, bear markets in stocks and bonds at the same time as you know the new system evolves. So um, you know, from the point of view of somebody trying to manage their own money or a professional money manager trying to keep their clients happy, this is an absolutely terrifying time. Yeah. Well, John, I think the repercussions of the globalization too are, are far reaching in many different ways. One is, for example, China ran these enormous trade surpluses. It gave them foreign currencies that they could use. In other words, they got richer and we went in debt and, and, you know, we went in debt both domestically and then, you know, we sold treasuries to the rest of the world instead of, instead of financing our own government, we let foreigners finance our deficit spending as well. Uh, and so we, uh, and then in order, uh, every time we'd have a, a, a credit cycle, the Fed would lower interest rates lower and lower, which now, you know, begs the question, who in the world wants to buy U.S. treasuries? I mean, even if they're rising, of course, if interest rates continue to rise, owning treasuries, you, you lose money on the principal. 
Um, it seems to me that we've dug ourselves into quite a hole, the West has, by, um, by, by, the, by our actions, by living beyond our means for so many years. And now, where is the capital? I think of this a lot of times, John, in terms of some of these gold mines that I see that are being developed, these multi-million ounce gold deposits that require maybe hundreds of millions of dollars to put them into production. Where's that money going to come from? It used to would, you know, perhaps in the past when we were at peace with China and the rest of the world, uh, more so we would, you know, we could have foreign capital moving in. But who wants to buy treasuries unless they rise a lot more? Isn't that part of what has to happen? We have to see treasury rates rise so that savings meets the investment demands. Well, we're, we're kind of reaping what we've sown here with these fiat currencies. Yeah. Uh, basically, in 1971, we handed all the world's governments an unlimited credit card in the form of a monetary printing press that was basically unlimited. And um, they've basically done what you'd expect human beings to do when handed that kind of power. You know, we, we've got a system now that's incredibly indebted everywhere you look and, and uh, tending towards um, inflationary booms and then gigantic busts and um, and it can't go on. And the markets are starting to realize that this might be the end of the process because now we've generated such high inflation. Um, in other words, the value of these currencies are crashing that central banks no longer have easy money as a tool with which to fix the busts that their um, excessive indebtedness causes. So we, you know, we can't keep going like this. So it has to break down, it has to be changed. And there's an interesting debate going on about, about this now um, among countries that are, for instance, the BRICS countries are setting up a parallel monetary system. Yes. And they're talking about it being a commodity-based currency system versus a fiat-based mm -hmm. currency system. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's very, that's an attractive idea. If you've got, uh, you know, say Russia um, is, is one of the uh, the linchpins of your currency system, and then you've got all their oil backing your currency. Whereas with uh, Europe and Japan and the U.S., you have a lot less in the in in terms of um, finance or um, natural resources and industrial commodities, et cetera, uh, to back your currency with. So there's now not just a breakdown in the value of the dollar. I mean, the dollar is down by like nine percent this year in official terms. Which means your um, your treasury bond yield is a negative six mm -hmm. or seven percent. Um, yeah, but so you've got that, and you've got some very viable competition emerging out there for the big fiat currencies. So I think there's a decent chance that if you know the BRICS countries, um, uh, Brazil, Russia, India, and China, if those guys mm -hmm. decide to set up a, a true parallel monetary system and back it with all the gold they've been accumulating and all the natural resources they have at their disposal, uh, it's a viable competitor for the dollar and the euro in the end, which means the value of the fiat currencies are liable to fall mm -hmm. to adjust for the fact that they're not monopolies in the world anymore. You know, they don't, they don't own the global financial system and um, they're not as in demand as they were. So it's it's possible that we're already seeing the yen and the euro plunge against the dollar, but it's possible right. that it's time for the dollar now to roll over and start falling against real stuff. Yeah. Well, what, 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 what could cause that, John? Well, um, if one scenario is that, uh, let's say we raise interest rates further from here, we engineer a huge bust. 
mm-hmm. the, the uh, financial system. The Fed then has to step back in and start easing again, but it will be doing so in an inflationary environment. Uh, and that could lead people to understand finally that there, you know, there, there's no help for the system. The Fed no longer has tools to control inflation, and it's choosing to avoid a depression, even at the cost of a depreciating dollar. And if you're a rational person in the financial markets and you see that happening, you're going to dump your dollars in as fast as possible and buy real stuff. Mm-hmm. So the um, Austrian School of Economics calls that a crack-up boom, in which yeah. society basically gives up on its currency and shifts into real things that governments can't create more of. Uh, and so you have spiking prices, crashing currency values, and general financial instability. And, and you know, we could easily be heading towards something just like that in the not-too-distant future. Yeah, indeed. Um, but, you know, I, know, I know that Alistair points out um, that, in fact, what happens uh, in a longer term, gold moves to the countries that are getting richer, and it moves away from the countries that are, that are losing wealth. And you, you referred to this notion that there's not, it's more than a notion. There's, uh, I know that people that track it, the, the Chinese government doesn't doesn't talk about it very much. How much gold it really has, nobody really knows. But there, are people that track the flows from Switzerland and other parts of the world into into China have have noted that they've had a tremendous buildup. And of course, they are the largest gold producer in the world. And Russia, I think, is second or third. Both of those countries are building up massive uh, massive supplies of of gold and. Uh, as Alistair points out, Russia's doing very well since the uh, since since the um, uh, you know since since we've uh, since they went to war and we uh, issued the uh, you know we stopped trading with them and um, and they're doing extremely well. They, I think they're having record um, surpluses in their exports uh, and they have only a thirty five percent. I think the debt to GDP is thirty five percent compared to our one hundred and thirty percent in the U.S. Something like that. So Russia seems to be faring very well. China, of course, has these massive trade surpluses. They have their problems, no doubt about it. Russia, uh, China definitely has their problems that are related to a command economy instead of a free market economy. But uh, I'd like to just touch on a couple of the ideas that Alistair raises in his most recent piece, An Asian Bretton Woods. He uh, has a question mark behind it. Could it be possible uh, he, he points out, he says, the financial war between Russia and China, uh, the financial war between Russia with, ta- with China's tacit backing on one side and America and her NATO allies on the other has escalated rapidly. It appears that President Putin was thinking several steps ahead when he launched Russia's attack on the Ukraine. Uh, just, do you see it that way? He's, a, he's sort of a sly guy, I would say, potentially. Well, um you know, I, I don't know. That's a big risk to take as part of a um, a plan. Yeah, uh, I, I see Russia as finally reacting to provocation from NATO, which was just, um, you know, consuming all the the land up to Russia's borders. Mm-hmm. And Russia was going to be surrounded, and it's been saying, "Look, this is an act of war. If you put a military alliance right next to us, and so so." That could be the you know the the whole explanation. No but sure. Russia, Russia is benefiting from this because huh? um, this messed up the um, supply chains of the world, caused shortages and higher prices for a lot of the things that Russia sells, and so they're actually making money on this deal so far. Mm-hmm. It may not end well for them, but right now the ruble is uh, a stable currency, yeah. um, unlike a lot of the big fiat currencies, and. Uh, 
and um, Russia's foreign exchange reserves are actually growing right now. And mm-hmm. they, you know, they're using and they have been using that money to accumulate gold, just like mm-hmm. China. Russia, China, and India have been accumulating an awful lot of gold and silver in the last couple of decades. And we've been speculating about what their point was, you know, why they were doing it. Mm-hmm. And this could be one of the points, you know, that mm-hmm. they're they're getting ready to set up um, a, a currency that competes with the dollar for reserve currency status, and they're going to back it with all that gold, along with all their other natural resources. And it's it's gonna be legit. So that's, uh, when Alistair's talking about a, um, a Bricks, Bretton Woods, yeah. that is what he's talking about, is the formation uh-huh. of another monetary system right. that might just be legitimate competition for the dollar and the euro in the end, and, and might be more than that. You know, It might be um, potentially a dominant monetary system going forward just because it's backed by so much more than what our currencies are backed by. Yeah, he points out, Alistair does, that I think it's something like 39% of the world's population are in those BRICS countries uh, compared to 19% that live in the NATO, U.S. and NATO-related countries. And anyway, I think what he was suggesting here was that Putin sort of sucked the West in with sanctions, and then that gave him a an excuse to cut off and and monetize um, that is use use oil and gas and gold to uh, to back the ruble and in essence the ruble now being I think the the world's strongest currency since uh, since he's since he did that since he required Europe to pay for natural gas or oil in, uh, in you know in um, uh, in rubles. So uh, uh, Alistair went on to say, he said, sanctions, we have seen sanctions fail. We have seen Russia achieve record export surpluses. We have seen the ruble become the strongest currency on the foreign exchanges. Um, And you you just uh, basically said that as well. And then he went on to say, we are seeing the West enter a new round of European monetary inflation to pay everyone's energy bills. The euro, yen, and sterling are already collapsing, as you pointed out, John. Uh, the dollar will be next, uh, and again, I'm not sure how he can say that for sure, but the dollar will be next, I guess, uh, would be the last one standing in the West. Um, and from Putin's point of view, so far, so good, Alistair suggests. Would you? It's hard to argue with that, I would say, from this point at this point in time anyway, although we, we're getting reports that the Ukraine, uh, its, its army has pushed back and pushed Russia out of certain areas. I don't know. Yeah, I think that uh, so far so good, although you're right, lately, it, the last few days have not brought a lot of good news for Russia on the war front. But, uh, you know, we'll see. These things are just inherently unpredictable. Mm-hmm. And um, there, there's no way to know the details of any of this. But I think the broader picture is that the fiat currency countries are destroying their currencies by taking on too much debt, et cetera, et cetera. You know, your, your listeners know this story front and back. Uh, and it's, those chickens are finally coming home to roost. You know, the things that um, we've been doing have been causing ever-increasing problems. And, and now this looks like a possibly insurmountable one that we have now. Um, and so, you know, you could take Russia and Ukraine completely out of this equation, and we would still be looking at a gigantic financial crisis. Yeah, for sure. Brought about by our own mismanagement. And I, yeah. I think that's that's really the key. I mean, you want to own gold and silver, and you want to own good quality mining stocks in what's coming, regardless of 
whether they settle Ukraine tomorrow or whether it drags on for a long time, uh, we've just screwed up the financial world and we need to go back to sound money. And, and you know, as an individual, your, your investment strategy should be moving your finances in that direction. Yeah. Well, Alistair wraps it up, uh, at least the introduction to his piece. He says there is one, one piece in Putin's jigsaw yet to be put in place a new currency system to protect Russia and her allies from an approaching Western monetary crisis. Putin is now assembling a new gold-backed multi-currency system by combining plans for a new Asian trade currency with his new Moscow world standard. Uh, with just uh, less than a minute left, do you, you know anything about the Moscow world standard? Have you read anything about Putin's Moscow world standard for gold? No, no, I haven't. But it makes absolute sense for the BRICS countries if they do decide to create um, a shared currency to back it with gold. And they've been accumulating it. So yeah. they, they, they may have enough to do that. Uh, yeah. so that, that could that could easily be one of the things that happens in the next couple of years. Yeah, I, I guess the idea here is that uh, un, unlike the LBMA and others, that this would be made basically a physical standard and not a uh, and not a paper standard. Anyway, we'll have to leave it go at that, John. Thank you so much for your thoughts. Very valuable. And uh, we'll love to talk to you again sometime soon. That is all the time we have for this week. Next week, my guest will be, as I noted, Alistair McLeod. He'll no doubt talk about this topic or several others that he's written about recently. Also, Michael Wood, uh, the CEO of Arena Gold, will join me. Uh, and I'm also expecting to have back uh, Patrick Highsmith uh, with some uh, we're expecting some really good news, some good assays uh, from his uh, company, Timberline Resources, as well. Until next week, goodbye and God's blessings to you. Thank you again for listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor. Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Business News.